0: Am I on? Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you again. Okay, if you've got a Bible, could you grab it and go to Joshua chapter 8? We're picking up the series in the book of Joshua that we started back in September. We took a pause for the Christmas period. Last week, I kind of set out where we're heading for 2018, and now we're going to be back in Joshua and we're going to roll this down towards Easter. So that's where we're going to be carrying on. But before we get into that, um, a little bit of an insight into my life. Um, Normally in our sort of daily life, uh, Monday to Friday, um, one of our things that we have to do is to get the kids to school. And that's usually Melanie does that, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. One of her jobs, is get the kids up, get them ready, get them to school and then pick them up at the end of the day. But on Fridays, I have a day off. That's kind of my official day off in the week. So I get to be involved in that process. So I get an insight into what Melanie's kind of been up to Monday to Thursday, and it's something that the boys now look forward to. Daddy's going to take us to school on Friday. Daddy's going to pick us up from school on Friday. And it's an interesting affair taking your children to school because, first of all, you've got to get them out of the house with their uniform on and associated paraphernalia for school, lunchbox, book bag, and whatever letter you should have signed that day. So we get them out the... um the, it, out the house into the car drive to where the school is, and then we have to negotiate getting them from the car into the safety of the school, which is not as easy as it sounds because my children, um, two boys who are currently five and eight, are basically like puppies, okay, and you need to exercise puppies, otherwise they wreck your house, and that 's what my kids are like, and they don 't get much exercise in the morning before you go to school because all you are doing up getting up putting food in them getting them ready trying to get them out the door so when we release them from getting out the car at the other end in school they are like wild and ready to run they're also genuinely excited about getting into school which will probably wear off I imagine as they get older but at the moment they just love it so when we open the doors of the car They're off. They're literally off. They're running. Where do we go to school? So we have to kind of put things in place to help them. And so we have stages from where we usually park to where the school is, where they're allowed to run to, but they have to stop. And that way we can monitor where they are from where we get to the the car to the school. So the first one is allowed to run from the car to the first lamppost. And they run. They leg it. They get out of the car and they throw their book bags. I You carry this, Daddy. And I'm like, oh, okay. I've got this in their water bottles. And they're off. And they just run. And they usually pick up friends along the way. And they're running in. And they get to the first lamppost. And they're like, <laughs> and they're looking at me until I nod and say they can run off onto the next day. So I'm carrying all the books. And I finally catch up to them. And, they say, and I look at them and say, You can go. And they run then from the lamppost to the first set of railings. And they just go alpha leather down the path, in and out of all the other people, all the other children. And they get to the, la- the railings and they're waiting. <laughs> and they're looking at me like, When can we go? When can we go? And the tongues hang out. <laughs> And I, get, I finally catch up to the rain and say, right, go. And they run the whole length of the railings to the next set of railings. And they get to the end. They're looking at me. <coughs> looking at me. And I'm like, right, you can do it. Last week, which is from the end of the railings into the school gate. And once they're kind of into the school gate in the playground, then they're, they're gone. And you have to go and find them. Have you ever tried finding your child in a school playground who looks like all the other children because of the uniform? Oh, it's a nightmare. Because I'm like, where are they? Well, he's, well, he's the one in red. And you're like, there's... 200 runs in red running around. But anyway, they run from the railings to the school gate and they're suddenly in and they're just, they're off then. That's it. They're, where, where they're, they're kind of with their mates and they're playing games until the bell goes and then you've got to round them up and get them into the classroom. By the time you actually get them into their classroom to their poor teachers, they are just red faced usually and sweaty tongues hanging out, ready to get on with the school day. And the reason I tell you that is because what we're going to look at today in the books of Joshua is a bit like that because life can be like that life can be kind of like bursts of activity where you're just flying on from the neck things busyness of life if you ask most people in our culture in our town how they're doing how are you most of them will probably say after the fine response how's life they'll say busy lot on We're juggling work and we're juggling family and we're juggling children and other commitments and church and the like. And it's just busy. There's just so many pressures of life coming in. And like my kids running to school, they go along and they're just, they're focused on the next thing, next thing. But every so often they have to stop. And they've got to stop and they've got to look at daddy. And they've got to wait until I say, okay, we've connected now you can go on to the next thing. We're on the same page. And life can be like that. And what we're going to look at today in the book of Joshua is a stage where the people of Israel stop and wait. In the midst of activity and all that God's doing, they stop, they wait, and they look at God in heaven. So if you've got your Bible, can you open it to the book of Joshua chapter 8? And we're going to pick it up at verse 30. Verse 30. And the story so far is, if you've been following us through the book of Joshua, we started back in September. If you've missed any of the sermons or online, you can catch up. But basically what it is, is the people of God are now going to enter the promised land. And this was the promised land, promised way back to Abraham, like in Genesis. So right back at the beginning of our Bible, God said to his man, Abraham, you're going to have all this land where I've given you. And you're going to have many descendants, like the stars in the sky. There's going to be a lot of them. And we follow the story through. And he has a son, Isaac, who has a son, Jacob, who has 12 sons who then go down into Egypt. We find it at the book of Je- uh, book of, end of the book of Genesis. In Egypt, they then fast forward 400 years. They've multiplied in this nation. And we have this period of them getting out of Egypt with Pharaoh and the plagues and all those famous stories under a man named Moses. They go into the wilderness. They wander for 40 years because of their rebellion. And then finally, under a man named Joshua, they're entering the land that was promised to Abraham. So they're finally taking it. And so the book of, the jo- of Joshua is the Kind of the outworking of that. So we saw at the beginning, God said to Joshua and the people, you've got to go, uh, be strong and courageous in following my word, in following what I say. That's what you've got to do. So they've gone into the land. They spied out the land. They met a woman named Rahab who wasn't a Jew. She wasn't part of Israel. She was an outsider. Yet she, she recognized who the God of Israel was and put her faith and trust in him. And she joined the people of Israel And sort of came on board and helped them out. Then we see the most significant event in the book of Joshua where the people crossed the River Jordan, which was the boundary line of the territory. They crossed the River Jordan and entered the promised land as a people. That was promised back to Abraham. Hugely significant from then. So they got into there and then they stopped celebrate their first Passover, built an altar, those kind of things. And at the end of chapter 5, that's kind of the end of the preparation phase of the book of Joshua. Then you get chapters 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, which is the warfare stage when they're starting to take the land. And we've heard about them taking the uh, city of Jericho, which is a hugely significant city. They took it, great victory, Got you know, marched around it, walls fell down. Awesome, God did something miraculous. They took the city. Then they went on to the next place, a place called Ai, and went to attack that, thinking this would be easier way easier than Jericho but they got utterly defeated, it turns out there was sin in their midst they disobeyed the word of God Then they had to work that out what are we going to do about this, they found out who the perpetrator was, that that was punished, it was dealt with they went back to Ai, had a huge victory there and kind of destroyed the city which brings us to where we are now in verse 30 so we're literally going to pick up the back end of chapter 8 and kind of the the final part of that story of Ai, it says, verse 30 at that time Actually, it should be up here too. There it is. I'll read it from there. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses. An altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool, and they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings, And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Do you want to put the next one up? There's the rest of the um, reading. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native born with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests whom carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Okay, big idea. In the activity of life, it is important to stop and put our eyes on Jesus before carrying on. In the activity of life, it is important to stop put our eyes on Jesus before carrying on. Now, if we reflect back over the previous sort of chapters, um, we see moments in the journey of, people, of God's people where they have stopped and kind of paused and made sure their focus was on God above everything. We saw it when they crossed the Jordan. They had to build an altar. that's to take stones out the middle of the river. We even built one over here, didn't we? We had a pile of stones here. They'd taken out the middle of the River Jordan and on the other side, they paused, they celebrated the first Passover, they uh, circumcised all the males, which they hadn't done in the wilderness, so there was a pause. And what they've got now is another one. So after the victories of Jericho, the victories of Ai, and everything else, they are stopped, they're pausing to put their eyes on Jesus. The covenant had been broken with Achan and his sin, in chapter 7, it's now been restored and they're now kind of just marking that and remembering what they've done. And so what, what actually is happening here from a military point of view, they're actually on a military campaign, and this makes no military tactical sense. You've had two victories, you've taken out two cities. They've now got to march to another place. And the historians tell us, people who study this, tell us it's about 20 miles from Ai to Mount Ebal. And bear in mind, there might be upwards of hundreds of thousands of Israelites Women and the children and the fighting men. And they basically got to move all of them 20 miles from where they were in AI over to Mount Ebal. And it was also into enemy held territory. There was a city there called Shechem, which was an enemy city. And so they were going, drawing near to an enemy city with all their forces and trying to sort of do a, a ceremony, which when you think about it, isn't very smart. But this is what they were to do. It was very important because it was more important to be on track with God than kind of doing activity. And I want to look at three things out of this passage. that run through the whole of the passage, they are divine command, active obedience, and corporate participation. If you look, I did some I was doing, when I was doing my study on this, I noticed they all came up, so I started coloring them in, and they run all, all three themes run through the passage, so i 'm going to pick out the themes and see how they go all the way through the verses on here, and the first one is divine command, divine command. four times in the passage, we read that what they did was based on commands that God had spoken to Moses. He had written down for the people of Israel to then do once they had entered the promised land. You go to verse thirty one, it says, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses. Now at this point Moses was dead, but kind of tradition tells us that he wrote the first five books of the Bible. And within there, it's written down, It actually notes that Moses wrote these things down, commands from God for the people to obey once they've got into the promised land. You go to verse 32. Again, he wrote on the stones, a copy of the law of Moses. We look down again in verse 33, and it says they did something just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. They were obeying commands of someone who'd actually passed away, but they obeyed it as if it were the commands of God himself, because it was. That's what Moses had taken. And in verse 35, it says, There was not a word that Moses commanded that Joshua did not do. So they were being obedient to divine commands. And if we go back to Deuteronomy, we can actually read where it comes from. Deuteronomy 27, it says this. It says, Then Moses and the leaders of Israel gave this charge to the people. Obey all these commands I'm giving you today when you cross the Jordan River. Well, they've done that. And enter the land your Lord God is giving you. They've done that now. Set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. Write this whole body of instruction on them when you cross the river to enter the land your Lord your God has given you. A land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God um, said to your ancestors. When you cross the Jordan, set up these stones at Mount Ebal. Coat them with plasters, I'm commanding you today. Then build an altar there to the Lord your God using natural uncut stones. You must not shape the stones with an iron tool. Build an altar of uncut stones and use it to offer burnt offerings to the Lord your God. Also sacrifice peace offerings on it. Celebrate by feasting there before the Lord your God. You must clearly write all these instructions on the stones coated with plaster. He also says a few verses later, when you cross the Jordan, because there were two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. He says, when you cross the Jordan River, the, the tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin must stand on Mount Gerizim to proclaim blessing over the people. And on the other side, you've got tribes of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dana, and Naphtali to stand on Mount Ebal to proclaim the curse. And so there was very specific instructions. When you get into the land, you've got to go and do this. And when you read that, it's basically kind of verbatim what they just did. They, were, they listened to the command of God, and they followed it. And there was very specific commands. When they got there, there were two mountains, Mount Eel and Mount Gerizim, that were across each other. They had to split the nation in half. You six tribes go over there. You six tribes go over there, and what they were to do was pronounce blessings and curses. If you read Deuteronomy 27, which is that's when you carry on, and then you read Deuteronomy 28, you find the blessings of um, the curses for disobedience and the blessings for obedience of God's people. If you obey me and fulfill my commandment, the Lord said, all these great things will happen. If you disobey me, all these bad things will happen. It's kind of just consequences of actions there. And actually what we see is Joshua as the leader following these commands, taking them very seriously, heeding them and working them out in the life of the, pe- of the people. And the theme of the passage is that obedience of God comes through the observance of the law, comes through observance of his word. How do you obey God? Well, you look at what he's said and you follow it. And for Joshua and the people, that's what they did. What has God said to us? Well, we, might as- we should do that. And there's an application for us. As God's people, we are to hear the words of God and hear the commands of God. And the question then comes, well, what does that look like to us? What does it mean to hear the divine commands of God? Well, that means we need to read our Bibles, because that's where we find it. It's written down in God's Word. This is it. This is God's Word. This is God's Word to us. Written form, and we have we have an obligation as a people to hear it in a corporate sense, which is what we do now every Sunday. We preach from God's word to teach people what God has said, but we also have an individual responsibility to read the word for ourselves, because the Bible says it is God's word breathed out to us, and it's useful for teaching, correcting rebuking training in righteousness this is what we need to hear this is God's command to us today and if you were here last week we said one of our focuses for this year would be people who grow in our depth and understanding and our love of God's word people who are reading God's word who are taking it seriously in their life and actually making a daily habit of getting into it we used the, the sandwich illustration didn't we there were two pieces of bread one of them was reading God's word what was the other one prayer and what was the sandwich filling the fellowship and the community that came with it that's what it was that's what we look at if you're not sure grab the sermon from last week and catch up and so what I want to do today is just to we were a week on from last week where I laid it out and said right this is where we're going we're a week in how you doing how's it going some of you are smiling at me because you're and like yeah I've got this some of you are shifting uncomfortably in your chair I'm like, mm, you can look, somewhere else. Some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about because you weren't here last week. Well, you can catch up. That's fine. But my challenge to you is, and I didn't plan this, by the way. As I was studying this passage, I thought, man, this works really nicely after what I said last week. But I didn't plan it. Literally, I didn't plan it. This is the grace of God. Where are you in hearing God's commands? I, said, I shared last week that I'm using the, um, the app on my phone. A few people have told me they've started doing that. It's the Read Scripture app we've got here on my phone where you can read your Bible every day and it gives you a section. It's got videos that help you understand it. I read it this morning, uh, which was January the 14th, Genesis 43:45, and Psalm 14 I had to read. Um, and then it ticks it off and it goes. And you can. There's a setting I didn't realize. that You can actually take off the date setting and just do it at your own pace as well. Or you can just take a section of it, read the New Testament or something. But that's what I'm doing. I know a lot of people are doing this with me. Because when you have the prayer meeting, we had the prayer meeting and people started prophesying. Guess where they're all prophesying from? Genesis. Everything was Genesis. I feel that. And I'm like... Are we all reading the same bit of the Bible, which is great, because we're all reading the same bit at the same time. But if you haven't, you can drop in any time on that. I put the link out on the email. But it's even if you don't want to do that, don't mind. Where are you reading your Bible? How are you doing it? Where in the day is it happening? Are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? Do you read it on your commute to work? Do you have a moment in the day where it's just a bit of peace? Lunchtime, where is it? What are you doing? How are you doing that? You can start any time. There's no shame. We've got 14 days have gone, so the last 13 don't count. They're in the past. Where are you going to start from here? How are you going to go forward? What are you going to do? Because what we've seen from this passage, hearing God's word and taking it seriously is hugely important to the people of God. And we need to be people who are hearing it. Hearing it on a Sunday is great, but it's not enough for us as a people. We need daily sustenance from God's word. And this is what we're doing now isn't enough. It's good, but we need to be able to take seriously for ourselves. So the first one was divine command. The second thing, the theme you see running through this, is active obedience. Active, which is obviously very closely linked with what came before. They didn't just hear the words of God or carry them around or have them written down or remember them. Oh, yeah, I remember Moses. You know, he just died. Yeah, he said a few things. They did it. They followed it. And hearing and doing must come together it's no God just hearing the word hearing it you've actually got to do it you, one has to follow the other eyes and there's a big difference between the two have you ever tried that with kids you're yelling at the kids to tell them to do something and then sometimes you get the back chat that says yes I heard you and I said I don't care whether you heard me do it when I'm saying go and wait by the door because we're going to church in the morning it's yeah yeah dad I heard you and I like, don't just hear me Put it into action and go and wait by the front door. Just flashback from my morning there. But, you know, hearing and doing is hugely different. And we've got to be people who don't just hear the word of God, but actually put it into action. And if you follow through this passage through, they hadn't just heard it, they hadn't just preserved it, written it down, the words of Moses. We've got it, we've got it written down here. They actually read it and then went and did it. And if you look at the, um, the passage, what does it say? It says, at that time, verse 30, it says, that first thing, they built an altar, The passage from Deuteronomy, he said, go build an altar when you get to the promised land. Joshua, verse 30, he went and built an altar and it says, just as Moses commanded. I heard it, I went and did it. He built an altar. And how he built the altar, he didn't go freestyle on his altar. Well, I know better. I can build the altar any way I want. I know how to interpret this. No, we did what what Moses said. He said, you've got to get stones. Well, there's lots of different types of stones. We can do a lot with stone. He said, no, you've got to get stones that are uncut. They haven't had a tool wielded on them. Why would that be? The most likely thing is because there's no human interference on that. You just have to take the stones out of the ground. Plus, it means you're not going anywhere near the second commandment, which, means, which says you cannot make a, um, an image to worship. If you just take an uncut stone, it is what it is. You haven't fashioned it, shaped it. Let's make it more godlike, this stone. If I shape it, it looks a bit more godly. No, just take the stones, build the altar. So he was obedient to that. He he took the stones, built the altar, and very specific, no tool has touched this, we'll use that. Then it says, what did they do once they'd build the altar? He said you had to offer sacrifices. How many different types of sacrifice? That's not a trick question, it's in there. Two. He said you have to to offer a burnt offering on the altar, Moses said, and it says they did that. They offered burnt offering. What was a burnt offering? Burnt offering was when they sacrificed an animal, they put it on the altar, they torched it, so it burnt, hence the name, but the whole carcass was consumed. It was an offering to God. You were giving something of your possessions, something you had as a sacrifice to God, and you got nothing out of it. You were just honoring and recognizing God. And it was a pleasing aroma. The smell was going to be a pleasing aroma to God of your acts of faith. And what it was, was that it would atone for the people's sins. Something was dying in the place of the sins, of the people and so it was a restoration of relationship with God so by killing the animal burning it and that would pay the price for the sins of the people there would be a restoration of relationship so they were to do that bearing in mind what they'd done with Achan There had been sin in the people, and we saw that actually all the people were responsible. There was a corporateness to it. And he says, well, actually, we offer burnt offerings which atone for the sin of the people. So relationship is now now restored. That's dealt with, the problem. But he also said you've got to put another offering on, which is called a peace offering, or sometimes it's called a fellowship offering. Now, this was different. This was an offering where they put it on and they cooked it, and then they ate it. So it was a different sign. And this was a sign of fellowship. And connection. So they would do the first one, deal with the sin. And then the second one they would um, sacrifice and cook. They would then eat. And there would be joyful celebration. In there would be a party. Because that was a sign of restored relationship with God. And enjoying that relationship. So it says when you get into the land... You've got to deal with your sin, and then you can enjoy relationship with me. And the worshiper in there actually ate the sacrifice, and there was part of it, and they were doing that. And so can you imagine from a tactical point of view, what are we doing? Well, we're going near enemy territory, and what are we going to do there? Have a party. It's, that's effectively what they're doing. And actually, this is what God had asked them to do, but from a worldly perspective, it made no sense. What also do they have to do, did Joshua have to do? It says you've got to write the law on the stones and it says Joshua did that. They built the altar and they wrote out, he wrote out the law on the stones. They, the commentators generally consider that, they reckon that was the Ten Commandments because there's a lot in the Deuteronomy and Leviticus, he couldn't have written it all on there. Um, so they probably just wrote the Ten Commandments on two tablets on the stone. But we don't actually know for sure, but that seems the most likely. So it was a reminder of the people that they were God's people. They were in covenant with God. And Joshua did all things and made sure the people did it. So not only he heard the word of God, he actually said, we've been active in our obedience. We're following it through. We're going to do it. We're going to follow it through. And there was evidence. All the people could see. Moses said this. God said through it, Moses, we're in the promised land. We're now doing it. We're now being active in our obedience to him. And for us, we need to act the same. When God speaks to us, we need to be active in obedience. It's no good just hearing. You might think, well, I'm, hearing, I'm here today. I'm in church. I'm hearing a, you know, a fab preacher. Isn't he doing well? But unless you follow it through with some level of action... This is a redundant exercise for you. Unless the word of God impacts your life to a point where you think, out of this I'm going to do something, whatever that is, and it might be different for different people, I appreciate that, but unless there's some activity out of it, some action, God's done something in you that you respond in some way in faith, this is a meaningless exercise for you. The Bible says this, James chapter 1, it says, Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently in his natural face in a mirror. Maybe that should have said woman, really. Come on, let's be honest. (laughs) She is like a woman who looks intently in her natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he looks like. That's ridiculous, isn't it? You look in the mirror and then you go away and you think, you forget what you're doing. That's what it's like if you listen to God's word, it says, and you don't do it. It's that ridiculous. Jesus said himself in John 13, he says, Now that you know these things, so you've heard them, God will bless you for doing them. You don't just hear my words, you've got to respond to them. It's a, if you read through the Gospels, this kind of reminds you of two groups of people. On one side you have the disciples, and on the other side you would have the Pharisees. All of them heard. They'd have the Old Testament Scriptures, but they'd also have God the Son himself come, bringing a new revelation, a new covenant, new words to them, and they all heard it. Some responded in faith and followed. Others rejected. They didn't do anything with it. And the difference between the two is eternal. You have to do what God asks you to do. And who's our ultimate example of this? Jesus. When in doubt, just say Jesus. Anyone ask you a question in church? Jesus. Because roundabout, you're always going to be right, you know, eventually. Yeah, Jesus. Our ultimate example of this, he was obedient to the will of his Father. When he came to earth, he was born as a baby. God became flesh, dwelt among us. He lived as a man in obscurity, died on a cross, rose from death, ascended to heaven. But he said these. He said, Jesus said to them, John 4, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I hear what my father is saying and I go and I do it. That's my food. That's what I, I live for. I live on. John 5, it says, The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He follows the will of his Father in heaven. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John chapter 6. And then probably the most profound one, Luke 22. It says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Then the key word, Nevertheless. Not my will, but yours be done. The reality for all of us, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, actually it's for all the world, is to come and recognize who Jesus is. Recognize who Jesus is and follow his word. Follow the very words of God. And that's what the Bible contains, the very word of God. And we don't just read it for its literary kind of power or its prose or whatever else we we really to hear the very words of God revealed to us by the Holy Spirit about Jesus Christ who was God the Son and all he did and what it meant for salvation and salvation for us and we are to follow it we are to do it and my question for us today is are you responding to God's word because there's only two choices, it's binary really it's obedience or rebellion there isn't a there in a middle ground you either do or you don't there's no other way and the ultimate one of course is are you a follower of Jesus because Jesus says come follow me and that was a general call and he told the church when you go out into the world you tell everyone about me you teach them what I've told you and the command we give to the world is come follow Jesus not us follow Jesus he's the king he's the Lord he's God you follow him if you're not a believer here today God is calling you to follow him And if that's you, we would love to chat with you in about what that means. If you are a believer here, it gets a little bit more nuanced. Are you following Jesus' commands to you for how you are to live your life? The number one one would probably be, in terms of our focus for this year, are you reading your Bible and praying? Are you making a habit? Is it something that you're bringing kind of as a priority to your life? Because that's what Jesus would have us do. If we're going to tell others about him, we need to know ourselves. So we need to be people of Bible reading and prayer, having a relationship with our Father in heaven, doing those things. What about other areas? Just to throw some out. What about um, what God says about money? we did a sermon series kind of about six eight months ago just looking at that whole area huge area in our culture in this town as a people money affluence possessions everything that goes along we taught about what the Bible says about how we live in light of that how we live in light of eternity what we do with our money what we invest in it how we give etc etc if you missed that go back and listen to that but I want to challenge you who are in the room hearing us teach about that have you done what God commanded you to do with your money there's again only one answer. What about relationships? How you're living your life and conducting your relationships with your spouse, with your children, with outsiders, with others? Are you dealing with openness and honesty and compassion, with sexual purity and all those things? Are you doing what God commanded you to do? Because we are to be actively obedient in following Him. Okay, last one. So we've had divine command. Um, Act of obedience and the last one is corporate participation. Corporate participation. Obedience to what God was saying wasn't something Joshua just did as an individual. It wasn't just Joshua who travelled up to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim and did these things. Actually the whole nation did it. In fact the whole nation had to take part because there were specific instructions about if you're from this tribe you need to stand on that mountain and if you're from this tribe you need to go on that mountain and there's something you need to do there in proclaiming those blessings and curses that so everyone hears there was a corporate response the entire nation was revolved if you, if you read through the passage it says in verse 32 and they're in the presence of all the people of Israel so that's everyone he wrote those things on the law. And then, beginning of verse 33, all Israel, and it was sojourner as well as native born. So there was everybody and different offices within the, um, within the, so sort of the society they have. And then, verse 35 kind of sums it all up this whole corporate identity. It says there was not one, not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women, and the little ones, and the sojourners who lived among them. Everyone is included. No one is left out. Specifically, the author there makes sure they hit everyone. When people think of Israel, you could think of the nation, or you could just think for the male part of it. But actually, no, no, it's not just them. We'll bring in the women. Okay, okay, so it's all them. And you think, okay, it's for adults then. No, it's for the kids. You've got to bring the little ones in it. So that suddenly crosses all the age groups. And then for the sojourners. So that's those who aren't native Israelites, not descendants of Abraham, but have joined kind of God's people, and the obvious one being Rahab and her family back in chapter 2. They would have been there. It says, you don't get to say, oh, well, I'm an outsider. I'm a latecomer. I'm not actually a direct descendant of Abraham myself. I get to miss out. No, no, you get to come in too. Everybody is involved. And for us as a kind of a church, kind of where you cannot discount yourself on age or background or gender or ethnicity or education or anything. You could have only walked through the door this morning, or you could have been here for years. You're in. You have to listen to God's work, and you have to work it out together. And all of them have the responsibility to hear God's words and obey, and they did it together. And there's particular, I guess, an emphasis as well there for parents of small children, of teaching them, of helping them understand what's going on and connecting with it. So we have a, kind of an ex-responsibility as a parent, as well as listening for ourselves, to make sure our children understand it. And for us as the church, we need to take this seriously. Christianity is a team sport. We play it together and we're all involved. There's no superstars, everyone has their role, everyone plays their part. The verse I looked at last week which kind of framed our year, was Acts 2.42 about being devoted um, to the apostles' teachings, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. But what would anyone remember the first two words? And they. Who were they? The church. All of them. It says, and they devoted themselves to the so who's So who's they? The church. Everybody. Everybody has to be connected into this. Everyone is going to be pulling their way. Everyone's going to be serving, finding out how they're gifted and everything. They've got to do it. It's not about one person. It's about all of us playing our part. And if you read through your New Testament, particularly the, um, the epistles, you find these phrases of each other and one another coming up time and time again. And there are numerous. There's probably about 30 different ones. You've got to love one another and pray for one another and encourage one another and spur one another, even correct one another, all these kind of things. And you cannot work them out without a community context. If you're on your own then you've got to love one another, then well, who am I loving? There's, there's no one here. If you're going to encourage someone, you've got to be in relationship with them to encourage them. You've got to do it all. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, which the kids' work have been studying, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I'm sure there's a song involved in that as well. But if you're going to have those things, you need a relational context to work some of them out, especially things like patience and self-control. You need people around you to push those buttons so you can express patience and self-control towards them. We need each other. It's the filling in our sandwich, if we use that illustration from last week. We've got to do it together. And so this week, in our life groups, um, which I mean we had the premier last week we 're meeting back on this week, first one of 2018. One I 'd love you all to do in your life groups is to share how you 're doing in your Bible reading and praying. So you've heard what God's asked you to do, you're being active about it, but there's a corporateness in sharing what you're doing. This is what I'm doing, let me encourage you, this is what you're doing. Oh wow, I didn't know that, that's really exciting. Let me pray for you, let me stand by you, let me be encouraging you. Here's what I've learned, this is all these things I've done. I want you to do it so we are expressing a corporate kind of moving forward into this year. And what I love about that app on your phone or your iPad or whatever you can use, it means we're all doing the same thing at the same time if you're following it along. It doesn't matter if you're not, but if you are, it's kind of actually we're all reading the same bit. So we've actually got a bit of a connection. We can talk about it. It doesn't matter if you haven't, but if you do, that's great. And so this week when it comes to your Bible reading and your praying, I'd love you to talk, um, sorry, into your life group to talk about those things, to work out how we're going to work this out in community. How are we going to do this together? Just being aware of what someone else is doing means you've got an opportunity to encourage them. You've got an opportunity to learn from them. You've got an opportunity to grow with them. All right, we're going to stop there. Can you stand up? I want to pray to finish, and then we've got a nice bit of time to worship Jesus at the beginning of this year and see what God has for us um, today. Maybe we to just close your eyes? Start with, if the band could come up and get ready. That would be great. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your words to us. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the word (laughs) who was there in the beginning, Lord, and you have spoken words of life and hope and truth to us, your people. I want to thank you for the church. And all that it is that your people on this earth, I want to thank you for the gift of that and that we can all play our part in that, Lord. And I pray, God, as we're kind of we going into this year, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word, ears to hear your commands to us, ears to hear your words of life and truth and salvation. And Lord, I ask you to give us open hearts to respond in faith and obey them, even when they're tough. Even when they're difficult, even when it demands from us, even when it demands sacrifice on our time, on our money, on our relationships, when it does that, that we would put you above everything. We would seek to obey you even when the world says, what are you doing? It doesn't look tactically smart. It doesn't look smart for our career or whatever, but we would actually prioritize you above everything. God, And I pray that you would perform the miracle of community amongst us as a people that we would be a people who express your love for us to others, that we would show that in our lives, in our life groups, in our people we meet, people we bumped into, that we would seek to love and serve and care those around us, that we would see what we're doing as a team sport. We need others. We need the help. We're not going alone. We're not by ourselves. There are others around us cheering us on, saying, come on, we can do this together. Lord God, I thank you for this moment now where we can stop and put our eyes on you. That we can take a moment to have our own kind of altar and sacrifice of worship. We don't need to sacrifice an animal because you were it, but we can give our praise as a sacrifice to you. Our worship to honor you today, Lord. And I pray you'd give us ears to hear what you want to do with us right now, this morning. Now you want to speak to us and, and just encourage us. Lord God, I want to thank you for your people and thank you for you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.